Hi, I'm Mike Sibley, leader of the James Moore Manufacturing Team. On this episode of More on Manufacturing, we're joined by John Van Duzer, one of my partners here at James Moore and Company, and John also leads our tax service line. So when it comes to uh, getting tax updates and where, where taxes are going, John's the man to, to talk to, so glad to have him on uh, today. So on this episode, we're going to be talking about tax planning opportunities specific to manufacturers. And also, and you know, much discussed, we're going to spend some time talking about the uh, potential tax law changes that are coming down the road. What's the latest? What are the highlights? What are some things we need to know as we're, we're thinking about things? Obviously, there's still a lot of uncertainty with that, but John's going to bring us, you know, kind of bring it together for us, at least give us a sense of where things are going right now. So, John, you know, welcome to the show. Thank you. Really appreciate you being on here today. Thanks, Mike. Um, I'm glad to be here and excited to talk about taxes with you. It's a <laughs> riveting topic. Yes, you always, I, I love your passion and enthusiasm for tax, so it's great having you on, so I appreciate it. Uh, so, so let's just jump into it. Uh, you know, let's, let's just talk, okay, we're approaching year end, you know, we're, we're in a, we're, we're, we're pro, we got a couple months left here. There's still time for manufacturers to be thinking about things. And so let's just talk about in general, what, what do we need to be thinking about from a manufacturing perspective? Yeah, so I think, you know, step one at the end of the year is getting a handle on where you're at, right? It's hard to manage what you can't measure. So, you know, are you expecting profitability? Are you expecting a loss? Were there any unusual transactions during the year? Are there any other tax benefits that you need to start tracking? Like, you know, just getting a handle on where you're at, I think, is really helpful. Um, we work with a lot of clients to help project kind of that tax liability just so they have an understanding and, and a baseline of, of what that tax liability is starting to look like. And then from there, you know, are there any other special type of benefits or incentives or additional deductions or credits that you could take advantage of? So a couple of examples is like the R&D credit. You know, there's a there's a credit for research and development expenditures that can be done, um, but it requires a lot of tracking and, and documentation around it. So getting together that documentation before year end is a good idea. So that way you're not under the crunch time at the end trying to get all of that documented. Um, another one is the employee retention credit. So throughout the year, as as each quarter passes, there's a test to determine whether or not you would qualify for that employee retention credit based on a reduction of revenues or being shut down um, by government order. Um, so it's something to consider, you know, along the way is have we been been qualified for that or, or are we able to take advantage of that? Um, another area that's a big one is qualified business income. Um, so that's a deduction. It's a 20% deduction of your income um, and was put forward in the Job Cuts um, and ta Job Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Um, one of the big things on there is there are limitations related to wages once your income exceeds certain thresholds. So it's understanding what is our projected income, <clears throat> what's our projected wage, ba wage base, are there any sort of planning um, things or considerations we have there in order to maximize that deduction. Um, so there's a whole lot of other you know, year-end type planning things that, um, you know, as, as we're approaching these year-ends, you want to look at? Well, one thing I just, you know, you mentioned the R&D tax credit, and I think oftentimes in manufacturing, there's some misunderstanding that it's only for development of a brand new product, and mm -hmm. and that's part of it, but there's also, you know, R&D around pr 
process improvement and there's R&D around, you know, even if you're trying to develop something and, and it, even if it doesn't come to fruition, there's a potential for, for that. So, and, and it may be that some years you don't have that and some years you do. And how does, how does that play in? And, you know, it's, it's kind of a built, it's a building block type credit. So based on what you did last year and it, so there's a lot to it. And I think it's one of those things that you really need to have a conversation about to make sure, Hey, does this apply for us? And it's one of the ones I, I just pointed out because oftentimes people just kind of forget about it or, or think they're not doing enough there. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the clients that I worked with, that was a manufacturer, you know, in order for them to propose on a, on a, on a job or a customer, a customer, you know, there was a fair amount of R and D that had to be done to basically create a proof of concept. And, and they had a very specific application, but we were able to look at those activities and, and sector off what really met the tests in order to qualify for that R and D credit. And, you know, it was kind of built into what they did. Um, so, you know, there's a lot more opportunity outside of the, Hey, we don't have a lab where we're doing test tubes and, and chemicals, it, you know, it, it could be much more broadly interpreted and applied than that. Sure, sure. I mean, should definitely just ask the question to make sure if, they're, if they are unsure. So let's, let's switch gears a little bit. This is a question I get every single year as we approach, you know, business, you know, especially when we've, we've had a robust economy like we've had is manufacturers investing into their equipment. And so what does this mean? There's, there's bonus depreciation, there's 179. What, what do we need to be thinking about? What, what are the limits? What, what, what do they need to be thinking about on that side of things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when looking at depreciation, um, you know, there's a couple of high level things. One, and, and this is my overriding advice and advice I give to clients on a daily basis, don't buy something that you don't need. <laughs> um, you know, I always joke around that, you know, in order to not pay any taxes ever, um, we can just adjust accounting fees. Um, yep, I agree. <laughs> and, and so want to make sure any purchases that are made have some economic return. You know, that that is step one. And if it if it doesn't make sense from an economic return standpoint, you know, you shouldn't do it. So when we do get into, OK, it does pass that economic test and this is a good idea, you know, then the timing can come into play. Right. Is it better off to buy it this year or next year? Mm -hmm. um, well, go back to step one. Where are we at? You know, do we have a do we have a surplus of income this year or are we higher than what we have been in the past or are we in a down year? And that may affect that timing consideration. Then when you get past that, it's well, what are you planning on buying and, and what are the depreciation benefits? So, for instance, right now, there is a 100 percent bonus depreciation, which means if you buy a piece of tangible equipment, um, it can generally be written off 100 percent. Um, in year one, even if it's financed. So that can be a big um, benefit. Um, if you go in December and buy a piece of equipment, you can write it off for the year and, and take it against that year's income. Um, the big catch there is it has to be placed in service. So you right. want to make sure that it's not like I just ordered it and it's going to come in February. Like it actually has to be in service as of the end of the year. Um, but that can be December 30th. And it just has to be done at the end of the year. Um, a couple other areas when you start looking at like physical plant and physical plant expansion, I think there's a lot of opportunities there. Um, one of the category, one of the strategies that we use pretty extensively is called a cost segregation. So if you build a new facility or add on to your facility, um, we work with a specialty firm that basically will go into the building and and break it down into its individual components. And in the tax law, the way it's written, it's written very specifically around the definitions. And so 
some items um, can be classified differently for tax purposes. So for instance, in the office that I'm sitting in, it has carpet tiles. Well, the carpet tiles are five-year property for tax purposes, and they have, and, and so you can take 100% bonus appreciation to the extent that you would allocate the cost of this building to the carpet tiles. In a manufacturing um, standpoint, where it can get really interesting is electrical systems and, and specialty, you know, air conditioning to cooling and, and that sort of thing. Because what they say is to the extent that you have an electrical system, which generally is part of the building, to the extent that it is feeding the equipment and the tangible equipment, it's an extension of that equipment. Um, so those cost segregation studies, they go in and break out all of the electrical and, and other systems that are tied to running the equipment. And so that can provide a really big boost. Mm -hmm. um, other big things that are really interesting, um, you know, I focus a lot on real estate. Um, industrial right now is a big asset class, given all of the distribution and manufacturing and all that that's going on right now. Um, so when you think about industrial, you think about like big warehouses or shells where the buildings may not be very significant from a tangible property standpoint, but they may have large parking or large areas. So if there's large parking lots, those, those qualify for bonus depreciation. If you have to resurface a parking lot, that actually can be expensed under the tangible property regulations. So there's a lot around that expansion just beyond buying, you know, a new piece of equipment um, that you want to think about when really planning for depreciation. Yeah, that's great. And there's a, there's a lot of opportunity. I know I know personally a lot of manufacturers were very busy in both expansion and equipment this year. So that's good information. Let's uh, before we jump into some of the Biden stuff though, but one of the most important areas for manufacturers and obvious and, and outside of equipment and property and plan and all that is often inventory. That's their biggest asset, and yep. it can create both a cash crunch. They can have too much. There and there's a lot going on with inventory. So maybe talk about some opportunities there in, in terms of you know, tax planning and looking at what they need to do uh, as they approach your end. Yeah, so I think one of the biggest areas really to consider is to consider your inventory to determine whether or not you have anything that um, is obsolete or is not saleable. Um, so the tax code, it, it gets very um, dicey in this area and very specific um, and gray. Um, but you know, from a gap reporting standpoint, if you have inventory and you don't believe it's realizable, you would generally record an allowance against that inventory. Um, for tax purposes, a, a, an allowance, a generic allowance is a non-deductible, it's a timing difference, right? So you end up with this book tax difference where for book purposes, you're saying, hey, this valuation is not gonna cut it. For tax purposes, you're saying, well, until you actually realize the loss, we can't take it. Um, but in the tax rules, if inventory is in a condition where it's either not saleable at normal prices or is unusable in a way due to damage, imperfections, or other reasons, and, and the language I chose there is very specific, lining up with kind of the, the case law around it, mm -hmm. um, you can actually write that inventory down to its fair market value even if you're not using a lower of cost or market inventory um, method. So even if you're using a cost inventory method, inventory can still be written down. The, the catch is, is you have to be able to substantiate that value. Mm -hmm. And of course, you have to actually write it down. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a, good, that's a good point. I think one of the reasons why it's important to bring that up this year is I do know of quite a few manufacturers where 
purchasing more than they needed to because they were worried about supply chain issues. But then you have the other end of it saying, okay, I need to get this product in because otherwise I'm not getting anything out the door. But then again, I might have ordered too much. And then what happens if it's a situation where it goes obsolete? Well, it, it, it may be that it's like you said, you might need to take a markdown, but usually realizing a loss means you literally have to throw it out the door. You have to throw it into the trash can and don't expect to do anything with it. So that's, it's one of those things I think, uh, you know, as you're approaching your end and you're looking at your inventory, spend some time on it because let's get rid of it. If we don't need it, can't use it, it has no value. Let's get rid of it. Yeah. Another thing to think about is equipment along the same line. So if you have that kind of old junk piece of equipment sitting in a closet somewhere, um, go ahead and get rid of it. Um, the way the tangible tax rules work is if it's on site, it needs to be on your tangible tax return and they don't depreciate the value down to zero. There's a floor. So you're paying some level of tangible taxes on that equipment, even if it's literally been sitting in your closet for 10 years. Um, so we are, we are constantly encouraging our clients, hey, look at your depreciation schedule, look at your inventory listing, dispose of what is not needed and get it off there and, and make sure you're getting the benefit or not paying these carry costs to have something that you're never gonna be able to realize. Great point, great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, so last thing before is just, you know, some manufacturers can, you know, this this really kind of came about a couple of years ago with the with the tax law changes, but some manufacturers can consider being cash basis. Yeah. And that I know for your team has created kind of a heyday in, in trying to evaluate this. So just to kind of give a backup on the on the history of this. So prior to 2018, the way the laws were written is if you were a producer of goods, Basically, they said, okay, you're pretty much accrual basis with very limited exceptions and 263A, which is a capitalization of overhead provision applies uniformly, whether you're selling $1,000 of stuff out of your garage or you're a multi-billion dollar corporation, right? right. Um, and it just, it was what it was. Now, if you were a reseller, there was a fairly healthy $10 million gross receipts test where smaller businesses could basically use cash method of accounting and not have to worry about that. Well, when the 2018 tax reform was passed, they upped the limitation from 10 million to 25 million, but they changed the provision just slightly to say for producers and resellers. So for producers, this is huge because you literally went from zero to 25 million. Um, so that's created a lot of opportunities for our clients as we've considered, hey, can we elect to be on the cash basis of accounting um, can we elect out of 263A and the, and the capitalization around that and really bring down the cost basis of the assets sitting on the balance sheet? And instead, you know, the, the goal there is to create deductions and, and to create, um, you know, run that through the income statement. The one yeah. question I'll have there is cash basis tends to be a two-edged sword. Mm -hmm. So um, it's very good to be able to um, understand where income is going, but it, it can have wild swings in income based on timing of payments. And, and there are some business environments where maybe if you carry a high balance in um, payables or you have accrued expenses, or if you have like deferred revenue or advanced payments where you would recognize revenue earlier, um, you, you could end up in a situation where cash basis may not be beneficial. So I actually had one client this year where we made the change from cash to accrual because mm -hmm. of because of deferred revenue and that deferred revenue was such that it on a cash basis was creating really weird income figures um, relative to what we knew their profitability was. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and we did have many instances where we converted to cash, 
but not every manufacturer made sense to be on a cash basis. And, you know, in some cases, some of these things you have to look at, especially if you're in the process of potentially, you know, you might sell your business in a couple of years and you want to be careful about how you do certain things. So it's definitely, in for some cases, an option, something you at least should ask about. But it may not be right for everybody, I think, at the end of the day. So, okay, let's let's switch gears a little bit. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to let you just kind of run with it here for a second. But, you know, what is the latest? We hear a lot in the news. One day it's this. One day it's that. There's pegs back to April and then September. There's all sorts of news going on in this stuff. You never know what's going on. But at least give us the latest, at, at least what perspective we can we can take from this. Yeah, absolutely. So one, I'll say, you know, our firm is producing a, a weekly um, Biden tax update series. Um, so I would invite all of you um, to check it out um, if you haven't already. Um, we're following this weekly because, you know, it is a dynamic environment. Things are changing. And so we want to be on top of it and provide good information and really, you know, help our clients understand the implications and to be able to plan for it and plan around it and, and understand what's going on. So definitely check out the video series. Um, so where we're at now is, you know, it's going to be a long process. Um, and I, I feel like we're still in the early innings. Um, you know, the, the 2018 tax reform was passed at the 11th hour in December. Um, you know, they pledged to get this done in the summer and you can see how well that's turned out. Um, so I, I am very skeptical in thinking that we're going to get anything but the 11th hour in December. Um, the, the president delivered a kind of a broad brush budget proposal at back in May. It's called the um, blue book or green book. It's one of those colors. Um, and so that was kind of the initial run on the proposals. The Senate introduced their version of, uh, of the proposals in august and then on september 13th the house introduced their proposals so structurally the way this is working is there's a one trillion dollar bipartisan infrastructure package in congress and then there's a separate three trillion dollar infrastructure package the one trillion dollar infrastructure package has very limited tax consequences and, and it has broad support the three trillion dollar infrastructure package is where all of the tax stuff is jammed in um, the, the strategy from the Democratic Party side is to pass the $1 trillion infrastructure package and then slip in the $3 trillion package through a process called reconciliation. That allows them to pass it with 50 votes in the Senate with um, Vice President uh, Harris being the tiebreaker. And so th that's kind of the goal now. Um, the, the House introduced their bill in mid-September and they made a run at passing it there at the end of September, early October, um, and and the and the Democratic Party wasn't unified on it. So it's a really interesting internal struggle within the party where you have moderates in the Senate like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema basically saying, "Hey, I'm not comfortable with this big price tag." And then you have the progressives like Bernie Sanders saying, "Hey, House, help me out here and let's hold the whole thing hostage and don't pass the one trillion dollar bill until we get consensus on the three trillion dollar bill." So you have a little bit of infighting within the Democratic Party that's causing the need for negotiation. And there was a very intense week in Congress. Um, Joe Biden went to Capitol Hill and was putting pressure on, um, you know, congressmen and women to to kind of fall in line. And, you know, ultimately they said, hey, it's going to take us a little bit longer and we're going to have to probably bring down that price tag. Um, so that means a lot more negotiating. So where we're at today is we don't have a clue what was going to be in the bill or, or is ultimately going to be passed, if anything at all, you know, that right now there's gridlock. So 
it's gonna be really interesting to continue watching it unfold. Um, but, you know, in looking at the House bill, I think we do have some glimpse into where their head is at. Um, the House bill overall was a bit more moderate um, than the president's initial proposals, um, which I think is a, a good thing um, from a standpoint of just wanting lower taxes. Um, so kind of curious to see as that spending level gets brought down into something that's passable, what does that do to the tax side as well? Because, you know, if the spending goes down, we think that the revenue raisers will also go down. So it may even get moderated a little bit more. Um, but the best information we have is what's actually been published. So if, if we're going to run through the House bill real quick, um, a couple of the key provisions is one, increasing tax rates. So corporate tax rate would go from a flat 21% to a graduated rate topping out at 26.5%. Um, individual income taxes would go from a 37% rate to a 39.6% rate. Um, there's a lot of uh, onus on increasing taxes in a big way for higher income earners. And so one of the examples is there will be a 3% surcharge on AGI when it exceeds $5 million. Um, they want to expand the net investment income tax. Um, so people that are make above four to $500,000 would basically have net investment income tax applied, whether or not the income is passive. Um, they want to cap the qualified business income deduction, that 20% deduction we talked about, you know, to the income of five, four to $500,000 and above that you wouldn't get it. Um, they want to reinstate something called the excess business loss limitation, which was Part of the 2018 tax provision quickly got repealed during the COVID um, and the CARES Act, and they want to put that back, which would which would basically limit your ability to take business losses against other non-business income like wages, investments, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, one interesting piece, though, is around capital gains. Um, so the capital gains in the House bill was a 25% capital gains rate, um, as you recall. You know, today capital gains rates are the 0, 15, 20 based on your income. Um, the proposal was to say once you hit $400,000, have no preferential rate for capital gains. So capital gains rates presumably would be 39.6%. So they're saying, well, we can't do that, but we'll, you know, we'll bring it up to 25. So there'll be some increase there. Um, they'll change something called the carried interest rules. The carried interest rules are big in real estate and in hedge funds where essentially you're getting capital gains for um, what what could be considered fee type income, the you know the standard two and twenty type arrangements, um, and then twelve oh two stock, which is um, the sale of small business stock, which could be pretty significant for a manufacturing company if there ever was a sale. Um, they're basically reducing that exclusion from hundred percent to fifty percent. Um, in the retirement plan area, there's a bunch of changes around um, disallowing contributions to an IRA once that balance exceeds $10 million. Um, and then basically reworking some of those RMD required minimum distribution rules to basically make you take a required minimum distribution when your balance exceeds $10 million and stop you from being able to take Roth um, contributions when, when your balance exceeds $20 million and really beefing up those rules because they're wanting to basically flush out those deferrals. So there was a pretty high profile story about a very smart guy that basically 
uh, made an investment in a self-directed IRA and all of a sudden has a billion dollar IRA. So you can see where that news headline, you know, made its way into the into the tax legislation. Um, on the estate tax arena, this has been a big area of focus for us and really advising our clients. And this is an area that really you could use some planning on no matter what your estate is, um, is, is really trying to raise estate taxes. So today in the current environment, the estate tax exemption is roughly $11 million per person. So a married couple, you have to have a net worth of $22 million before um, you would pay estate taxes. Well, under the plan, it would go back down to $5 million. Um, also, current estate tax planning, a very common strategy is using um, defective grantor trusts or a slat or you know something along that those lines. They basically are going to close all those loopholes and make it where you can't do that strategy anymore. So ratcheting down the exemption amounts and um, basically shutting down a lot of the current estate planning strategies in the hopes of raising revenue around the estate taxes. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of other provisions that are just kind of, you know, hodgepodge together. One, I think, area that'll be really interesting to watch it unfold is actually increasing IRS funding. Um, so their goal is to target more audits um, and, and to close the tax gap, which is kind of that theoretical, how much should people be paying in taxes versus how much do they actually pay in taxes? And so look to see more enforcement. Um, there's actually a provision floating out there for banks to start giving more information to the IRS regarding account deposits, um, which could be pretty significant and seeing how that all unfolds. Um, so there you go. There's, there's a, there's a high level. <laughs> that was a mouth. That was a mouthful. I, I appreciate that. That was a great summary. I think that helps at least give, you know, some perspective i'm not sure how much like you said i think right now a lot of things we're having we're having a lot of conversations on the estate tax planning side which hey regardless of this you should you know should be really looking at anyway depending on values of business and things like that but uh you know it's 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 not a point where we can necessarily move on anything just yet because there's still too much unknown but i do think that we, we kind of need to plan on this idea that if tax law changes happen there's probably going to be increases in taxes that we've got to be dealing with in the next year so yeah, um, for sure so well john hey i i really appreciate all your expertise today and bringing all this to us i think it's a lot for people to think about certainly you know as as you know for our manufacturers listening in uh there's a lot to think about there's a lot to plan for give us a call we're, we'll be we'll this is what we're going to be doing for the next couple of months and thinking about this stuff so again, reach out to us and, and thank you very much, John. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, for all our listeners, thank you for listening in and uh, look forward to the, the next month. To learn more about James Moore and Company's manufacturing services, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our More on Manufacturing series to receive updates when new videos and podcasts are released. If you'd like to be a guest, or if there's a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, contact us on our website. You can also follow us on social media for more news as the landscape on manufacturing continues to rapidly evolve.